You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 70 of the Daily Knowledge Podcast from todayifoundout.com. And in this episode of the podcast, you're going to learn about sudden infant death syndrome, which is the rather sad case when a baby dies in the first year of their life. You're going to learn about what causes this and why it was a mystery for so long. And in the bonus facts section today, you're going to learn a bit more about the treatment for this syndrome. Sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, is every new parent's fear. It's defined as the sudden death of an infant under age one that cannot be explained after a thorough investigation has been conducted, including a complete autopsy, an examination of the death scene, and a review of the clinical history. In the early 1970s, the US government became concerned at the number of infant deaths that couldn't be explained. This led to the Sudden Infant Death Syndrome Act of 1974, which gave power and funding for research to the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, NICHHD, to find the cause. Fast forward to today, and we still haven't definitively proven what the root cause of SIDS is. However, we do know that it's most likely the result of a simultaneous occurrence of multiple events, a perfect storm of intrinsic and extrinsic factors that lead to dead babies. This theory seems to be the most widely accepted, and was first put forth by doctors J.J. Filano and H.C. Kinney at Boston's Children's Hospital in 1994. Known as the triple risk model, it states that in almost every case of SIDS, there are three factors in play – a vulnerable infant, a critical development period in homeostatic control, and exogenous stresses. That might sound like a bunch of doctor-speak for I don't really know why your baby is dead, and yes, I'll explain it in English shortly, but the truth is, based on this model, the NICHHD came up with an education plan called the Back to Sleep Program. The results have helped reduce the cases of SIDS by over 50% since the early 1990s. It might seem like this type of tragedy is now rare and can be overlooked when it comes to what we should worry about with newborns. After all, I would much rather worry about how to keep the poop from leaking out the sides of the diaper. Seriously, it's gross. The truth, however, is SIDS is still the leading cause of death in children under the age of one, accounting for 0.67 deaths per 1,000 live births in the US. Because almost no one likes dead babies, let's look at those three factors and why they came together to form the perfect storm of SIDS tragedy. The first factor in the triple risk model is a vulnerable infant. What does that mean? It all comes down to breathing and how the brain controls it. The body has a respiratory center in the brain, located in an area known as the medulla oblongata in the pons regions. If you are sleeping, almost all cases of SIDS involve an infant who was sleeping prior to being found dead, these areas get information from what are known as chemoreceptors. These receptors are responsible for regulating our breathing, so just the right amount of oxygen gets in and the right amount of carbon dioxide gets out, despite the voluntary things that control breathing. One of the nerve groups involved with the chemoreceptors, and helps influence the respiratory drive, blood pressure, temperature regulation, upper airway reflexes and arousal, is called the 5-hydroxytryptamine neurons. They are responsible for regulating long-term breathing in response to low oxygen levels, hypoxia. Several studies have shown that in almost all SIDS cases, the infant had abnormal 5-HT neurons. Specifically, they had a higher number of neurons and a greater overall neuron density. 
They also had lower numbers of receptor sites for the neurotransmitters that send the signals to breathe. These abnormal neurons will not work appropriately if the baby was put in a situation where these nerves were controlling breathing, like when sleeping, and the infant was put in a hypoxic state, like lying face down in the crib and breathing into a loose comforter, stuffed animal, pillow, or the like. These studies also showed that males had significantly lower numbers of neurotransmitter receptor site binding than females. This is important ancillary evidence, as males are more likely to be a victim of SIDS than females. The second factor in the triple-risk model is a critical period in the development of homeostatic control. Basically, in English, this means the baby is most likely to die less than one year of age. This is because the period in which the baby is developing the respiratory centers of the medulla are within the first year. Homeostatic control is just a fancy way of saying that area is controlling the oxygen and carbon dioxide levels appropriately. The third factor in the triple risk model is exogenous stresses. What are those? Anything that might cause the baby to be in a state of hypoxia or have elevated levels of carbon dioxide in their system. So things like sleeping face down, covering the baby's head while sleeping, using bulky blankets and pillows, allowing the child to share a bed with others, bundling up the infant too closely to their face, piling stuffed animals or toys around the baby, and illness just prior to death. Among other indicators, evidence that this triple-risk model is correct can be found in a study published in 2010 in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It showed that 95% of SIDS cases had one or more of these risk factors, 88% had two or more, and 95% had at least one exogenous stressor. So how can you reduce the risk of SIDS in your baby? We can't know ahead of time if our child has a 5-HT abnormality, and we can't change that our babies are developing their respiratory centers during the first year of their life. So the only way for us to try and prevent SIDS is to try and control the exogenous stresses. The Back to Sleep, also known as Safe to Sleep program, recommends that you allow your baby to sleep on their backs. Do not allow the baby to sleep in the bed with you. Use only tight-fitting sheets and blankets in the crib, nothing loose, and otherwise keep the crib empty. Allow for use of a pacifier, as this will aid in the respiratory control. The use of a fan to circulate the air in the room has also been linked with decreased SIDS instances. If you smoke, you can diminish the odds of your baby dying of SIDS significantly by quitting smoking. Studies have shown that there is a two- to five-fold increase in the risk of SIDS if the mother smokes. Finally, breastfeed or otherwise feed your baby breast milk any way you can. Beyond the numerous other proven benefits of this over even the best of formulas, several studies have shown up to a 50% decrease in the risk of SIDS if the baby is breastfed. To sum up, the answer to the question what causes SIDS is that the most likely cause is an abnormality in the 5-HT neurons that does not allow for the baby to restore appropriate oxygen and carbon dioxide levels while being stressed by outside factors that cause states of asphyxia. That sentence is a mouthful. Feel free to memorize it so you can impress your friends the next time the what causes SIDS question comes up. And then listen to the full explanation a few times so you can back up your awesome medically sounding one sentence answer with an English explanation. And now for today's bonus fact. It should be noted that the back to sleep program is not without controversy. It has been theorized that babies sleeping on their back instead of their stomach increases the chances of positional plagiocephaly, flat head syndrome, and certain jaw problems. Further, while stomach sleeping definitely increases SIDS rates, recent studies have shown developmental and other health benefits with stomach sleeping for babies, presumed to be due to sleeping more restfully and deeply when sleeping this way. 
Among the benefits, at the six-month mark, babies who sleep on their stomachs have been found to score higher in social skills and gross motor skills. They also have less neurocognitive abnormalities, less emotional problems, better memory, quicker verbal skills, and in general increased total developmental scores. However, because the difference between back sleepers and stomach sleepers disappears at around 18 months, most experts still think that back sleeping is the way to go. Better a flat-headed baby that takes a little longer to develop in certain ways than a dead baby. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out Daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode, or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.